Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part one of the Gospel of John, chapter four. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Welcome to our study of John chapter 4. The Samaritan woman at the well. Only John had Nicodemus. The character Nicodemus, he's the only one who writes about him. Only John has the Samaritan woman at the well who we will meet today. Again, we see John's underlying spiritual theme of bridegroom imagery coming through. Remember last week how it ended when John said, I'm not the Messiah. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, Jesus. The friend of the bridegroom, me, John the Baptist, I stand and hear him and I rejoice greatly at his voice when the marriage is consummated. And for this reason, my joy has been fulfilled. He must increase, Jesus. I must decrease, John. Today we're going to see a standard betrothal scene from Hebrew ancient scriptures. Remember last week when Nicodemus really had to rack his brain in John chapter 3 to figure out the riddle? Just like Abraham had racked his brain in Genesis? Well, because God had said, Abraham, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. How is that going to happen? In John 3, Jesus didn't seem to care about the genetic purity of Abraham's children. Even though they had the correct genetic pool, they're going to need to be born over again in a baptismal pool. And it's the last commission Jesus gives in Matthew 28. Go baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus had just told us last week, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Remember, it was broad daylight, Genesis 15, and God showed Abraham countless, numerous stars and said, that's how many children you'll have. Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed this incredible sign in daylight. He saw stars, and then later in the chapter, the darkness fell. So Abraham still wondered, how is this going to happen? And in the very next chapter, chapter 16 of Genesis, Sarai, Abram's wife, has an idea. You see the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, Abram. Go into my slave girl. Huh. And maybe that's the way that I shall obtain children, by her. And Abraham listened to the words of God, and he said, No, Sarai, that is not what God said. Right? <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. Abraham was living by the flesh, not by the spirit. And it's just the same as back in the garden. Listen to me. Listen to me, Adam. There are a lot of voices going on. There's God's voice, there's Satan's voice, and there's human voices. It's just what's happening with our kids right now. So many voices coming through their iPhone. It's what's happening to us. So many voices coming at us. Which one do we listen to the most? What biblical principle have we learned about listening to God's word, about trusting God's word? God's voice or my voice? God's words or my words? Not listening to God's word is cause for immediate guilt, regret, and hiding in the dark from God. And that leads immediately to what? Marital discord. Because immediately they're blaming each other. The man says, the woman you gave me to be with, she gave me the fruit. And banishment from eternal life. We were supposed to have eternal, immortal, unending life, and we get banished. 
and we enter into the culture of death. And it's where we still live. We're banished children of Eve. And it's exactly what the devil wanted, to introduce death and to destroy our innocence and to rob us of our deepest identity as pure sons and daughters of God. Welcome to your new existence. And Adam and Eve must have thought, what have we done? What have we done? I'm not my brother's keeper. And God must have thought, why didn't you just listen to your parents? Why didn't they listen to me? Why didn't you listen to them? Why did they want to know evil? Oh, yeah, that's right. I gave them that really great gift called free will so they could choose to love me. And Eve must have just thought, why did I eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Why didn't I listen to God's word? The regret. But God, in his great love and mercy, killed the first animals to cover Adam and Eve. And they used the animal blood for sin-atoning sacrifices like God taught them. God was teaching them that blood takes away the sin of the world. (laughs) Have mercy on us. Now, another temptation. Sarai says, Abram, listen to me. I mean, maybe God meant something like this. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Cana, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian slave girl, and gave to her husband, Abram, Hagar, as a wife. Abram went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when Hagar saw that she conceived, she looked with contempt at her mistress, Sarai. I'm not my sister's keeper. Hagar looked with disdain at her mistress, Sarai. And that sin led what? Immediately to marital discord. Once again, they're fighting. Sarai says to Abram, may the wrong thing done to me be on you, Abram. I gave my slave girl to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, well, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Abram said to Sarai, your slave girl's in your power. Do with her as you please. Well, that's a direct objectification of women. And Sarai dealt harshly with her. And she ran away into the desert where she will surely die because there's no water in the desert. But the Lord, an angel of the Lord, came to her and said, I will so greatly multiply your offspring, Hagar, that they will not be able to be counted. They will be a numerous multitude. Well, guess what? That's the exact same promise Abram got. Numerous children, as countless as the stars. An Egyptian slave girl and Abram, the father of the faith, are getting the same promise. Numerous children. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael, his firstborn son, a son of the flesh. He did not listen to God's word. He listened to Sarai's word, and now he has a child of the flesh. Still, every child is a gift from God, even if the parents sinned in conceiving it. Every child is called by name by God into existence. And God always keeps his word, always, because these are Hagar's children. They are numerous. I will greatly multiply your offspring. They will be a numerous multitude, and they are. Because why? Because God always keeps his word. He's incapable of lying. He's truth itself. So God can speak his word, but God can also remain silent and hold his word, as he did to Abraham for the next 13 years. He did not speak. Think of the desolation. God, where are you? Talk to me. Talk to me. God was silent until Ishmael was 13 years old, and then God spoke. And God said, when Abram was 99, God said, walk before me, Abram, and be blameless. I'm going to make a covenant between you and me, and you will be exceedingly numerous, but not this way. Abram fell on his face in repentance. I'm changing your name. No longer will you be Abram, a new name. You're Abraham. And you will be exceedingly fruitful. And kings are going to come from your loin. And I'm going to make with you an everlasting covenant. And this time, 
Abraham would listen and he would trust God's word. But God said, here's the sign. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskins. This was an act of the flesh. You're going to circumcise your flesh. And it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you forever, for all time. An everlasting covenant in your flesh. Oh, Ishmael, come here, little buddy. I talked to God today. Your wife, Sarai, is going to be named Sarah, and she's going to bear a son. And you're going to name him Isaac, which means laughter. And I'm going to establish my covenant with him, with Isaac, an everlasting covenant for his offspring. As for Ishmael, I heard you. I'm going to bless him. I'm going to make him fruitful, exceedingly numerous. He's going to be the father of 12 princes. He's going to have a great nation. But my covenant is with Isaac. Isaac's the son of promise. Isaac's the son of the spirit, not the flesh. Abraham took Ishmael and everyone in his household that day, all males were circumcised as God had said. Now, if you were circumcised, you're part of God's covenant. You're in. You're circumcised, you're in. Circumcision was how you were born into God's covenant. It was the sign, the forever sign, a circumcision of the flesh. Isaac is going to be a supernatural conception of the spirit. Old Sarai and old Abraham are going to conceive. It's going to be human and human, but they're going to have some spiritual assistance. But it's going to foreshadow Mary, young virgin Mary, is going to be one human, and she's going to be overshadowed by the spirit of the living God and conceive. This will really be a supernatural son of promise. Isaac will prefigure Jesus, a supernatural son of promise. Now, last week we saw Nicodemus. He was born of the flesh, a true son of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He had been circumcised on the eighth day. He had the proper 100% Jewish pedigree to be part of the covenant people. Today, we're going to meet a very different seeker, a very thirsty seeker. Jesus would put himself today in the path of a very sinful woman, one that is not circumcised of the flesh because women, all women, could not be circumcised. She can't be circumcised of the flesh, even though Samaritans did circumcise the males. She was not the proper 100% Jewish pedigree. She was a Samaritan. Who are the Samaritans? We have to understand. There's only one good one in the whole Bible. (laughs) And only St. Luke tells us about him. Because he's a universal Greek. Samaritans still live. They still exist today. They worship on Mount Gerizim in the West Bank. They recognize the Pentateuch only, the first five books, the Torah. And they reject all other books of the Old Testament. They do practice circumcision because they are Abraham's children. They observe the Sabbath and all the Jewish feast days. They believe that their worship is the true worship, the true religion of the ancient Israelites from before the Babylon captivity, those who preserved the land and maintained the land of Israel. And if you recall, when we studied Moses, there were two mountains. It's right there, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal at Shechem. They were to give six tribes on one and six tribes on the other, and they were going to shout the blessings and curses back and forth when they got to the promised land. Moses never, ever, 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 ever wanted them to forget the Ten Commandments. 
So one mountain is one tablet and the other mountain is the other tablet. And they were told that when they get to the promised land, they must first do an Israelite sacrifice in the promised land on Mount Ebal. So they're facing Jerazim and they were to build an altar of stones and cover them with plaster. And so when Joshua got into the promised land and they conquered all the other nations, he did go back to Mount Ebal and do as Moses had instructed and renewed the covenant there on that altar of unhewn stones. And so the Samaritans feel that Mount Gerizim was the original place of Israel from the time that Joshua conquered the promised land to this very day they've maintained it. They believe that Gerizim is the center of Israel's worship, not Mount Zion, Mount Gerizim. And they built a temple there to worship God. And the Samaritans believed that Abraham sacrificed Isaac on Mount Gerizim, not Moriah. And they believed that this is where Jacob had his dream. And this was the house of God, Bethel, Mount Gerizim. Essentially, the Samaritans have a fourfold creed. One God, one prophet. There's one prophet's coming. It's the one Moses foretold because they only had Torah and Moses in Deuteronomy 18 said, there will be a prophet coming from among your people. Listen to him. He's Messiah. They believe in one book, Torah, and they believe in one place, Mount Gerizim. Now, Samaria is right there. It's, this is all in the region of Samaria. It's 35 miles north of Jerusalem. It's a city set on a high hill, and it was under the tribal territory of Manasseh. Do you remember who Manasseh was? Manasseh is the firstborn son of Joseph. Remember Joseph in the coat of many colors? His firstborn son is named Manasseh, and it means, for God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. Now, the thing about Manasseh, if you recall, when Jacob blesses the boys, Joseph brings them to be blessed in Genesis 48, and Manasseh is the older one, and, and it's the right hand that blesses the oldest son and gives him the, the father's blessing. And Joseph says, here's Manasseh, dad, and Jacob goes, whoop, wait, wait, dad, wait, that's the younger one, that's Ephraim with your right hand, wait, 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 uh, no, <laughs> Ephraim got the blessing, not Manasseh. Now, remember back to the time of the royal kingdom, this was the greatest time of Israel. They were a royal kingdom, a strong kingdom from 1050 to 930 BC. Then they got divided and they became a divided kingdom from 930 to 722 BC. The north, 10 tribes go to the north, two tribes go to the south. It's a divided kingdom. One of the northern kings, a very, very evil man, King Omri, 1 Kings 16, he bought the hill of Samaria. He built an acropolis there. It's still there to this day. Samaria withstood many sieges in the Bible from the Armenians, from the Assyrians, from the Hasmoneans. But King Omri did more evil than all who were before him. He was evil, and his son is even worse, and his son is King Ahab. Do you remember King Ahab? He did way more evil than his father and all the men before him. He took for his wife Jezebel, a Sidonian princess, and they settled in Samaria, where they built many false idols to Baal and many other gods, and that's where they resided, in this area. So in the northern kingdom, the capital city is Samaria. In the southern kingdom... Of Judah, the capital city is Jerusalem. So there's much apostasy going on in the northern kingdom. Jezebel is a relentless thorn in the side of Elijah. And finally, she gets thrown out the window and eaten by the dogs. And that was a happy day. <laughs> it really was. And when you call someone a Jezebel, it is not a good thing. 
So this quarrel between Jews and Samaritans is centuries old, and I want you to understand that the Assyrians conquer the northern kingdom of Israel, whose capital is Samaria. They conquer them in 722 BC. It's called the Assyrian Exile. And as they did in those days, Assyria transports the greater part of the population and brings in foreigners to the land to repopulate, to assimilate the people, and to water down their faith, and to water down their culture, and to water down their people. And so we see that in two kings, and we see it written in Josephus' writings. What happened is King Sargon II moved out some of the people, and then he brought in other gods, other nations, other husbands from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Emoth, and Saravim. Huh. It's right there in 2 Kings 17. He settles them and then brings in five other husbands. Remember that. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them. The Lord sends in lions to kill. The Lord hates what's going on. They're getting watered down. They're losing their faith. And he sends in lions, and some of the people are killed. But every nation still had its own gods, and they made shrines in high places. And the people of Samaria, every nation in the city which they lived, they were bringing in the people of Babylon, worshipped to God Sukkoth Benoth, the people of Kuth worshipped Nergal, the people of Hamath worshipped Ashmia, the Avites worshipped Neba and Tartak, and the Saravites burned their children to the fire gods, the gods of the Saravim. So... We've got five foreign nations moving into the North Kingdom. They worship the Lord, but they also serve their own gods. Now, that's what's happening up north to those 10 tribes at the time of the Assyrian exile, 722 BC. What is happening in the Southern Kingdom? They hold out a little longer. They hold out a little longer, but they get captured in the sixth century by the Babylonians. And it is the southern kingdom of Judah that's captured and carried away to Babylon in 586 B.C. Now, would the Jews from Judah assimilate into the Babylonian culture? Yes, many of them did. A lot of them never came back. When they were free to go back, they said, "Now we kind of like it here. We'll just stay. And they assimilated in. But some, you'll remember Daniel, you'll remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They would not lose their Jewish identity. They were the faithful remnant. They would not give up the customs. And they stayed true to their Jewish identity. And so when they came back, they settled back again in Judah. Now, which tribe of Israel did Jesus Christ come from? Judah, the strong one, the one in Jerusalem, the one that did not lose their identity. That tribe was made up, the southern kingdom is made up of Judah, which is the fourth son, which is the son that had the blessing of Jacob's sons. Jesus comes from this tribe with Benjamin, Rachel's other son. And Jesus says now, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the father, neither on this mountain, they're standing right there by Jerizim, nor Jerusalem at Mount Zion. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. Salvation is from the Jews. They've kept it pure. He knows they have. He's one of them. He is the Messiah. Salvation came from the Jews. That's how the Father planned it. A chosen people where he would enter into the race of humanity through the Jewish nation. In the 5th century, the southern kingdom Jews are allowed to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the shattered city and rebuild the temple under the direction of Ezra and Nehemiah. And when they come back to start building, they don't want any of those northerners polluting the true Jewish identity, because they've intermarried with five husbands, they're no longer pure, and it was a very bitter rift between Jews and Samaritans, a hatred. They've had five husbands. 
Babylonians, Kuta, Eva, Hamat, Seravim, they're polluted. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come back. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. You've had five husbands. She's from the north. They've had five husbands. So, so there's a literal sense. She does have five husbands. She's been through five. She's on number six. But also there's a spiritual sense that this is history of Israel. Israel has been an adulterous woman. The Jews and Samaritans bitterly disdain each other. And you know that because one time Jesus is going to a Samaritan village and his messengers go in front of him into the village of the Samaritans to get it ready for him. And they didn't receive him because they knew Jesus had his face set towards Jerusalem. Mount Zion, he's going to Jerusalem. We worship on Jerusalem. And the disciples, James and John, said to Jesus, Lord, do you want us to call down fire and consume them? Do you want us to kill all the Samaritans? And Jesus turned and rebuked them. But you see the disdain. You see the hatred they had for this group. Not Jesus. He said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, because I've come for them too. And guess what? All the earth, all of Abraham's children, to the ends of the earth. So he knew this, that he had come for all, but they didn't know that yet. Now, at the end of the 5th century, Sambalot, the governor of Samaria, constructs a temple on top of Mount Gerizim. And a large city flourishes there in the Hellenistic period. And if you remember Nebuchadnezzar's dream and Daniel interpreting it, when Greece becomes a world power in 331 to 168 BC, Jerusalem gets really Hellenized. It gets really Greeked up. Okay, the Macedonian soldiers come in and camp there. It becomes a Greek city. If you go there today, you'll see a lot of Greek architecture, Greek coins, Greek jars, Greek buildings. And even in 2 Maccabees, and this temple was up on top of Jerusalem. And in 2 Maccabees 6, it says to pollute the temple in Jerusalem, to call it the temple of the Olympian Zeus. That's a Greek god, the head of the Greek gods. To call the temple in Jerusalem the temple of Zeus, the friend of strangers, as did the people who lived in that place. So they got really Hellenized. And John Herakinus comes in, and he's the leader of the Maccabean Hasmonean dynasty. And he destroys that temple on Mount Gerizim in 120 BC. That's just 120 years before Jesus Christ. And the Samaritans are furious because that's everything to them. And they want to retaliate. And so in the year 9 BC, Jesus is already born. He's a young boy. Samaritan men come at night in secret to Jerusalem at the time of Passover and scatter bones all over the place and contaminate the temple. Death is on the temple. They can't hold Passover. For the Jews to not hold Passover is, ah! So there was definitely bad blood between these two groups. And I just really want you to feel that. I want you to know that the Jews and Samaritans do not get along. In 63 BC, Samaria gets annexed by Rome. It becomes a province of Syria. And Caesar Augustus is ruling. So Herod the Great names it Sabastia after Augustus. Okay, it's right, here's Samaria to the north, here's Judea with Jerusalem, the capital city, and in the middle is this city called Shechem, and that's where we're at today, in biblical Shechem. It's right there by Mount Gerizim, and at this place is where you will find Jacob's well to this day, undisputed by every scholar. Joseph's tomb is there, Mount Gerizim, and Mount Ebal. It's a very important biblical place. Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus is making more baptizing more disciples than John. So what John wanted is happening. What John prayed for is happening. John the best man is decreasing 
Jesus the bridegroom is increasing. Although it was not Jesus himself, but his disciples who baptized. Jesus has come to baptize with fire. And oh, how he wishes it was done. But he has to go to the cross first. These guys are baptizing with water. John's baptism of repentance. Jesus leaves Judea and heads back up to Galilee. He's going to go back home for a while. But he had to go through Samaria. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. Because there was another road he could have taken, which most people took. Most Jews did not travel through Samaria. Uh, uh, uh. But Jesus did. And I like the King James Version because it says he must needs go through Samaria. There's someone there he'd like to meet. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar. It's now, it's Shechem. The plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired out. He's human. He's tired by the journey. He's sitting at the well. It's about noon. It's high noon. It's the absolute brightest time of the day in the Mediterranean sun. Noon. No one goes out at noon. Nicodemus came in the dark at night. He didn't want his identity known. This woman, this sinful woman, comes in the brightest, hottest time of the day all alone in full exposure, full sunshine. And in John's gospel, we're going to meet two unfaithful married women. One is from Northern Kingdom, this one today, and one married woman was caught in adultery in the Southern Kingdom in John 8. We've got two adulterous women, one from each kingdom. Israel has been an adulterous nation. She has been a harlot. She has worshipped other gods. She's an unfaithful wife. Remember, God had married Israel in Exodus. God had married Israel in Exodus 19. I bore you on eagle's wings. I brought you to myself. You're my treasured possession out of all the people on the earth. That's bridegroom talk. He's proposing to her at Mount Sinai, and the bride consented, which we know has to happen. The bride says, everything the Lord has said, we will do. And they repeat it again. It's a marriage. Have them wash their clothes because he wants the bride to be blemish-free. And have them prepare for the third day because on the third day, the Lord's going to come down and marry his bride. Now that bride, Israel, became divided, a divided kingdom. And half went to the north and half went to the south. And both were unfaithful brides. They were adulterous married women. And the one from the north is standing in front of Jesus right now, today, And she approached Jesus at the well. She's not the proper pedigree by any means. To the Jews at that time, she is a dirty, filthy, half-breed, low-life, piece of trash. She's a Samaritan woman. Do you know what the Talmud said? The Babylonian Talmud said about Samaritan women? This is a Jewish rabbi writing, daughters of the Samaritans are menstruants from the cradle. They're dirty. (laughs) If a woman's menstruating, she's dirty. She can't be touched. Therefore, any item that they would handle would be unclean to a Jew. She gives him a ladle. She gives him a bucket. She's filthy. She menstruated from the cradle as a baby. It's forbidden to give a woman any greeting, let alone a Samaritan woman. Why would any Jewish man ever even speak to her? She's been through five husbands. And the one she's with now, number six, was not her husband. That was part one of the Gospel of John, chapter four, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible studies, visit seekingtruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.